Hi everyone, welcome to Crime Science. In this podcast, we aim to explore the science of crime and the practical application of the science for loss prevention and asset protection practitioners, as well as other professionals. We would like to thank Bosch for making this episode possible. Be a leader in loss prevention by implementing integrated solutions that enhance safety, reduce shrink, and helps improve merchandising, operations, and customer service. Bosch Integrated Security and Communication Solutions span zones 1 through 4 in the LPRC's zones of influence, while enriching the customer experience and delivering valuable data to help increase retail profitability. Learn more by visiting Bosch online at BoschSecurity.com. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Crime Science, the podcast. Um, I'm joined today, this is Reed Hayes, by Kevin Tran, our producer, by Tony D'Onofrio and Tom Meehan. Um, We're going to talk a little bit about what's going on in the world, what's going on at the LPRC, um, always with a focus, always with a focus for our members, the, um, our, the practitioners out there, uh, and others in need of information. Um, so what we do is strive for the week before to collect any and everything we can around um, retailing, COVID-19, um, some of the civil uh, unrest, uh, but most importantly, some of the effects of the, uh, of the demonstrations on retailing and other organizations. So, and, and how do we get engaged in positive ways to uh, reduce problems and uh, maintain good practice and good results? Um, we know that uh, masking is something that um, was wide in widespread use, I understand, by doing some research back in the 1918 uh, global flu pandemic um, with many jurisdictions uh, asking and some others requiring masking uh, when in contact with others um, for everybody's protection. Um, same thing happened here. It started out uh, from the WHO and even from our own uh, Dr. Fauci and CDC and, and other guidance that <clears throat> masking may not be required. Um, could even be counterproductive evidently since uh, a couple dynamics, one face mask would be in huge demand by the healthcare workers that were in close contact Uh, by the nature of their jobs all day, every day, to infected or uh, suspected infected individuals. And so for their own protection and the protection of their families, let's prioritize the second that because masks are not normally worn by humans, uh, there's a tendency for us to continually touch them, move them, um, not treat them as something that could be, should be sterile, um, and also uh, maybe transmit more uh, potential uh, COVID-19 RNA from our face, the mask, to our hands, and vice versa, and moving around. Um, I guess as, as research has emerged that masks uh, are a good, very good idea. Um, again, we're trying to reduce the spread to the vulnerable. And I think there's a couple um, of dynamics going on here as we read and understand and talk to uh, experts in the area that clearly the masking is designed, just like with surgeons and other healthcare uh, workers in the surgical suite, the idea of masking is so that you don't transmit what you may have to a patient. Um, in this case, what we might have, and, and we know that anywhere from 20 to almost 50% of uh, COVID-19 positive individuals, we have um, no symptoms um, or are very, very low or mild, mildly symptomatic. Um, so may not know, but yet are shedding the RNA, shedding the virus. Uh, and if we are breathing, talking, singing, yelling, coughing or sneezing, uh, uh, spitting and everything else, we are spreading the virus. So the mask helps retain a lot, if not most of that material and reduce the chance of 
spreading of uh, an infectious dose and particularly a seriously infectious dose. Um, I think the other thing we're looking at to ourselves and others are not only uh, if we don't wear a mask, are we um, potentially infecting those that are vulnerable or those that go back infected now and are with vulnerable people, but they, that uh, vulnerable people's uh, behavior is being suppressed. And so when we don't wear a mask, we're not only not thinking of ourselves, um, we're thinking uh, of ourselves only, but we're now suppressing others. They don't feel comfortable. They don't feel safe. They can't emerge from their house, get some fresh air, maybe put a mask on and go to the store. Um, but their mask only provides a certain amount of protection and so on. So I think that's what's under study now is to get retailers, to get uh, shoppers back in the stores, get employees back in their workplaces, everybody to start to feel a little more confident and uh, comfortable um, and safer that that's what's a key component here that others don't feel safe. And most people are not going to say anything. They're just going to conduct what we call avoidance behavior. And that's what we look at with fear of crime. Now we're looking at fear of infection as well. Um, and so if people aren't feeling safe because all or most people or some people are not wearing masks, um, then that's a real issue. And we know the other side of that is the who enforces that. Um, I know where we are in Alachua County. Here in Gainesville, we've had mandatory masking inside spaces, stores and others for weeks and weeks. Um, and you still see mild to uh, significant compliance here, but you see enough people not uh, compliant and that's suppressing um, shopping and other positive behaviors. So there's more to look at uh, as scientists and as retailers trying to understand how do we uh, affect this? What are uh, subtle nudges we can do? Uh, we've all seen, or many of us have seen the video of individuals that refuse to wear masks that are becoming violent or aggressive. Um, and we see sometimes customers that are concerned or scared becoming the same. Uh, but again, most are not. Um, expressing their concerns that way they're expressing their concerns by staying home and ordering offline so um, we'll look at the stress confrontation levels um, the other thing is looking at um, sensors and dashboards um, one thing that uh, I heard recently is being hypothesized is that there's not going to be a normal there's never actually been a normal um, but you were going to see more rapid new normals um, we talk a lot about micro moments in criminology, micro moments in shopping, how we're trying to affect, um, understand uh, people's perceptions and their responses and then affect them in micro moments um, for the green shopper or the red. But now what we're looking at is what sensors and dashboards might we have that will help us understand the continuing upcoming disruptions that might be very strategic, could be tactical, that that store operator, as well as the overall company, need to understand, hey, there's an, okay, here we go. We've got another new disruption. It's coming our way. Um, here's what, how that's going to affect uh, consumer demand, what types of products, how much, uh, how people are going to want to buy them, and so on. So uh, intelligence is going to be huge in understanding problems going forward. At the LPRC, we're excited to participate in and uh, be a co-conductor, if you will, on a little more minor level of the uh, Global Retail Summit. Um, look forward to participating in that. Um, Impact is October 6th through 7th, uh, virtual experience. Um, we've already got uh, 200 uh, registered in the first week of, uh, of open registration. So we're excited on uh, presenting the 12 different uh, 
uh, sessions that we've got. They're going to be powerful, good content. LPRC has uh, really for the last 16 years been known for a lot of powerful content uh, and interaction uh, that's combined with science. Uh, so look forward to that. Uh, the new LPRC Knowledge Center um, 2.0 is now available. Kevin Tran informs me. Um, and so just go again to the lpresearch.org. Go to our website. You'll see pointers there uh, to the Knowledge Center and ways to interact with that. Um, those that have downloaded the free app off of uh, iTunes or other um, app uh, locations uh, can also access in part the Knowledge Center. Um, look for LPRC also as being featured on upcoming broadcasts, uh, or excuse me, podcast episodes on LP Magazine's got a fine podcast uh, program going. LPRC will be uh, a focus of one of those coming up very soon. The same with Nero. Nero is a podcast really designed for crime uh, analysts, for law enforcement analysts, for um, those that are looking at mapping and data and other uses to understand uh, crime analysis to be more focused, which is, of course, uh, very critical. Look for LPRC uh, to be featured on one of those podcast episodes coming up very soon. Um, also, you'll see that uh, uh, we've got some exciting uh, topics and guests coming up on Crime Science, the podcast as well. Um, we've got criminologists of different types talking about very significant and important things. Um, we'll reveal that later, uh, as well as practitioners and others. So, um, stay tuned for that. Uh, LPRC, we continue to work away on uh, the R3, the rapid response research. Um, curbside, we've get now been getting the 3D footage um, in preparation from, we'll be working in three retailers parking lots. Um, I had a, an experience the other day where I uh, went to get uh, to participate in curbside pickup and uh, it was nothing short of um, unproductive, but uh, so there's a lot of opportunity to make that a more cost efficient and a better customer experience. Um, so look for that. Um, we're also looking, as I've mentioned, uh, on HazardNet and some other things we're doing with AI. Uh, we're very excited again with the initiative having NVIDIA. Um, we have uh, Malong is a powerful leader in there. Uh, ever seen technology, we've got Sensormatic, we've got Bosch, um, and we've got quite a few others coming on board here. So the uh, artificial intelligence, particularly computer vision, but also look at things with uh, human language, um, recognition and understanding uh, coming up soon here, as well as some very cool robotics uh, initiatives. So um, with no further ado, I'm going to go over to my uh, colleague and friend, Tony D'Onofrio. Tony, if you could make us whole. Uh, thank you very much, Reed. So I'm going to continue on the mask team. Uh, and actually, masks are becoming a big fashion uh, business, and they're growing like crazy. So I'll start with DIY uh, Joanne Fabrics, which kicked off their second program, which they're calling Masks for Schools. With every pre-made mask purchased from Joanne, they will donate one to a school uh, in need. And this actually follows a program that they ran called Make the Give Campaign, which passed over... 200 million face masks donated last week. So Joanne is using it as a way to engage consumers in a proactive uh, pro-consumer approach. Etsy sold 12 million masks in April, totaling $133 million. So they're, they're becoming a, a fashion item. And in fact, I even saw pal uh, politicians in Italy, for example, 
wearing a mask that was the Italian flag. So you're going to start seeing a lot more different ways to showcase what your actually mask looks like going forward. Also of interest this week is new data that came out of China on their mid-year shopping festival. So China has Singles Day, which I've talked about a lot, which is in, um, in November, but they also have a, a June um, mid-year, and it's called 618 because it runs from the 1st of June to the 18th of June, and they do a really good job of running these events and, and these events sales programs. So Alibaba had gross merchandise volume in those 18 days of 99 billion. JD.com had gross merchandise volume of 38 billion, and HSBC expects gross merchandise volume in the second quarter to grow 32% for Alibaba and 110% for GD.com. I mentioned that because I think that is an opportunity that the U.S. need to discover more how to do all these holiday shopping events and drive more consumer engagement to digital and physical, but primarily digital. Also this week, I saw some data in terms of the top, uh, that the best and worst rated national COVID-19 responses. Uh, and this was a YouGov survey, which looked at countries with the net worst or best net approval ratings for government handling of the COVID-19. So the top five best in the world that handle COVID-19, the best are Vietnam, Malaysia, Taiwan, Australia, and Denmark. The top five worst are Spain, France, USA, Mexico, and UK. And if you look at the highest deaths per million and you rank the countries in the world, so these are the highest death numbers per million. The UK is the worst, followed by Spain, France, US, and Mexico. So there's still a lot of pain going on in the world with, uh, with COVID-19. Uh, I'm going to switch to a totally different new set of data, and this is the, the growth of 5G. So while we're dealing with uh, COVID-19, 5G is in the process of being released worldwide. And it's actually a good reminder that in 40 years, we've gone through five generations of wireless technology. The 5G market is projected to be 668 billion by 2026 at a CAGR of 122%. Now, what does G actually, 5G actually give us? So 5G is actually 20 times faster than the current 4G that a, lot of, that a lot of us have on our phone. And just to give you an example of what that means, to download an average movie today on 4G would take you six minutes. On 5G, it will be 20 seconds. And then fi finally, 5G allows you to support a lot more devices. So it allows for IoT, the Internet of Things, to grow even more. Uh, 5G supports 10x than the more devices per uh, square kilometer than the current uh, 4G. So 5G has a lot of potential to increase the digitization of the retail industry, and that's a technology that I keep uh, watching very, very closely. And I'm going to end uh, with a little expanded review of uh, China and how they're coming out again of the COVID-19 crisis, uh, because again, they, they went in first and they came out first, So and this is focused on retail. So uh, this is actually uh, McKinsey looking at the an early read on discretionary spending in Asia post COVID-19. So during the lockdown in China or in Asia in the three countries that they survey, which are China, Indo India and Indonesia, 
uh, spending, discretionary spending dropped 90% at the peak of the lockdown. What's coming out now is that consumers are not rushing the stores as an overall, what, what McKinsey calls cautious optimism. About two thirds in India and in Indonesia are expected to recover their income uh, or savings lost during the lockdown by the end of the year. So that's the good news. They actually feel that by the end of the year, they'll be in much more better shape. But they found uh, some trends in terms of how the evolution is coming. So uh, number one, ticket size matters. So consumers are not rushing out and buying things like cars. In fact, 61% of uh, Indonesia and 50% of Chinese are delaying buying cars and 59% of Chinese and 39% of Indonesia are delaying buying jewelry. A lot more focus on value. So number two, a lot more focus on value. There is increased price sensitivity in the market. Uh, consumers expect to be spending less this year, but there are goods, there are signs that there, there is pent up demand for apparel, which is really important because that's the sector that's been devastated the most. Uh, number three, there's a preference for trusted brands. So if you are a known brand in the market, you are actually getting more business uh, as, you, as they come out of the crisis. So market leading brands retain significantly higher conversion rates of 60 to 70%. There is some uneasiness and guilt that consumers are dealing with in terms of uh, not really sure that they should be buying this because maybe it's not the right thing to do this time. And uh, finally, the, the number, the fifth trend that they're seeing is digital shopping has accelerated, but physical stores are also coming back, especially for apparel, mobile phones, and appliances in China. And McKinsey recommends that don't just reopen the stores, rethink how the stores actually are going to play in the ecosystem going forward, earn and maintain the consumer trust, radiate value, follow the consumer across channels, and more importantly, communicate purpose. And by purpose, they mean that really be socially engaged and communicate honestly about what you went through and the impact on the, on the service levels and the overall economy. In other words, be extremely honest with the consumers. And I thought those were really good lessons as the U.S. and the rest of the world gets going as we reopen. So with that, I'm going to turn over to Tom. Thanks, Tony. Thanks, Reed. Just uh, wanted to kind of touch base on a couple of cybersecurity and risk initiatives or issues that are occurring. Uh, it's hard to believe that today worldwide cases of, uh, of COVID-19 have exceeded 10 million. Um, and when you think of that number, and it wasn't too long ago that we started here. Uh, good news is about 50% have recovered. But uh, a lot of what I'm going to talk about today is global and, and tying back to the United States. But I'll quickly go up. Uh, one thing to note is that 70% of organizations have increased their cybersecurity spend since COVID-19, and that has uh, to do mostly out of necessity. Cybersecurity experts uh, have serious concerns around IT infrastructure and data. As we continue to work in the remote workplace, we continue to get uh, see an increase in attacks uh, and an increase that is, is really monumental and not seen before. Uh, in the last uh, about 14 days, there's been a, a 400% increase in reported phishing attacks. 
So there's, you know, when you take that number into consideration, you are obviously have to take that with a grain of salt that it's reported. So there's no real uh, understanding of what occurred post and, you know, post what will occur post COVID and what occurred pre because of those numbers that run through. But one thing that's really important to note is that um, these attacks are, are not non-discriminatory on financial value. So one of the things that cybersecurity experts and actually Deloitte, KPMG, and all of them, actually the big four consulting firms have said is that this isn't attacks that are geared towards financial institutions. These are attacks that are broad and wide. And if you have even a few dollars in the bank, there's someone that's eventually uh, essentially attacking it. Um, when you think about the uptake, uh, it is huge in the pharmaceutical brands and the brands that are around COVID-19. So you have kind of a two-prong approach from cybersecurity, both um, nation states and uh, just bad guys in general. There's a huge attack on the pharmaceutical industry, the medical in industry, um, and the, the, the supply chain industry. And what, what obviously is occurring there is the cyber criminals are taking advantage of the stressed infrastructure and the lack of resources or the limited resources related to COVID-19. Uh, kind of an interesting fact that is, uh, there is this talk in the, the higher end of cybersecurity, the CISO, some of the organizations and groups specific to chief information security officers are talking about uh, a global cyber event and what that would mean. So one of the things COVID is really done is it flushed out the kind of denial factor of it can't happen to me. And some cybersecurity experts are taking that same approach and they're using numbers like, you know, if 5% of the computer infrastructure globally went down, what would the impact be? You know, 70 million new devices would be needed immediately. Um, would manufacturers be able to uptick, uh, keep track of the uptick? How would we actually respond? So the, although COVID-19 is a horrible thing, it actually is opening up different ways of thinking, even in the technical world. Uh, you know, I think uh, the one other thing that's constantly coming up now is, uh, you know, a whole road, uh, a whole bunch of schemes and scams around Social Security and unemployment with the need for people to gather unemployment and trying to do taxes at uh, this time, obviously they extend the tax deadline. There is a whole host, I'm looking at a number now, um, they have over 4 million reported unemployment fraud claims where people are going on to websites, and this is from the FTC, uh, thinking that it's an unemployment website and running and trying to get information. Obviously that number exceeds, you know, what, in some cases, looking at the, the data here, what would be reported as unemployment in a week, but it's just people going back and trying to figure it out. A lot of states are behind on it. So uh, before I wrap up, I think we all talked about masks. And one of the things that uh, we're starting to see um, on the cybersecurity side is just channels and talking. Uh, and this is really in the dark web about people taking advantage of retailers and which masks are the best to conceal. So it's just a reminder that we're all going to be wearing masks or we all should be wearing masks. Uh, and it's just a reminder that the, again, the bad guys are looking to take advantage of that. So everybody stay, stay safe. Over to you, Reed. All right. Many thanks, uh, Tony and Tom, uh, for all your insights um, and heads up on what's going on. And, you know, we're here to learn. Um, we're here to discuss with everybody. We're not here to, uh, to lecture. And um, 
I think that uh, as scientists and um, professionals, we're trying to really be uh, uh, more evidence-based, less emotion-based. Uh, we're trying to um, advocate uh, a little more uh, analysis over uh, activism that's not informed activism. And so um, it's a fine line, but that's really what uh, I know in this case at the LPRC, myself and our team, we're dedicated to hopefully uh, always every day in every way being uh, objective um, and uh, as unbiased as humans can be, uh, but to try and uh, use good frameworks we call logic models or theory and then conduct rigorous research. In other words, use logic and observation and then report uh, again in an unemotional unbiased way. Here's what seems to be happening according to this evidence. Uh, here's evidence from others and so on. And uh, these are some possible courses of action. These are some options. So uh, we always appreciate input, insight from you all, the listeners, uh, from anybody that's got uh, some questions, some comments, some suggestions. Uh, we're here for you at lpresearch.org. Um, so from uh, Gainesville and uh, on behalf of my colleagues, Tom Meehan, Tony D'Onofrio, our producer, Kevin Tran, I wanna wish everybody a safe, uh, productive uh, 2020. Um, we're here for you at the LPRC. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Crime Science Podcast presented by the Loss Prevention Research Council and sponsored by Bosch Security. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can find more crime science episodes and valuable information at lpresearch.org. The content provided in the Crime Science Podcast is for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for legal, financial, or other advice. Views expressed by guests of the Crime Science Podcast are those of the authors and do not reflect the opinions or positions of the Health Prevention Research Council.